What's up, everybody? This is the podcast according to sources. I am your guy, Sean Davis, SD2 Mikes. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow according to sources on Twitter and Instagram at A2SPOB1. That's A2SPOB1. You can go to PeytonSportsNet.com and all of our shows are archived right there. We are streaming as well on all digital platforms. This three man weed, the best in podcast land. I have my guys on the wing. My guy Chris Cason at C4 Dunk and my boy Brian Crawford at B underscore crawl, the number four and D. Guys, as always, we start with the open and layup. So I'm going to go no look bounce pass to C4 Dunk. What you got for us, Chris? Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Mark Cuban, uh, Dallas Mavericks. I mean, you talk about an organization that's been, you know, had negative headlines just the past. A couple of years, some things, you know, away from basketball. But, you know, for Mark to basically be trying to get in touch with Delonte West, pick him up from a gas station, reunite him with his mom, get him into a drug uh, rehabilitation center in Florida, that's big. I mean, but it's sad to see, you know, like anybody that experienced the heights of the NBA be in that situation for like, you know, years now, but you know, I'm hoping that he gets the help that he needs. All right, I'm going behind the back, down to the dirty south, hitting C4 on the oop. My C4, but BC on the oop, what you got for us, BC? Man, I just want to shout out Chicago, man, for these, you know, NBA finals. You got a lot of guys from the crib, you know, playing for a championship this year, you know, two up from Simeon, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> you got Taylor Horton Tucker, you know, obviously a guy that was you know, he's <clears throat> big time at Simeon, and you got Kendrick Nunn who played with Jabari Parker. Um, you know, he's going forward, and obviously you got Anthony Davis, you know, came from perspectives. And then, you know, you also got to shout out my man, Jimmy Buckets, <laughs> former bull, you know what I'm saying? My claim to fame is I believed in him before anybody, you know what I'm saying? So that's my guy. So just shout out to Chicago, man, for these NBA finals that we're about to see. Definitely kudos to the Dallas Mavericks and Governor Mark Cuban taking care of Delonte West, reuniting him with his mother and getting him the help that he needs. And it seems like he's committed financially to making sure that that continues, that he can get to a good space. And then also, if I'm not mistaken, JaVale McGee spent some time in Chicago uh, growing up as well uh, for a few years. Yeah, he went so to Leo, right? Yeah, yeah. So he has that Chicago uh, connection as well one of the guys in the NBA Finals. And we're going to talk about that, man. We're going to get into Doc Rivers, his firing, and what was behind that. Of course, we're going to talk to Jimmy Butler. That's been the hot topic on Twitter for Chicagoans. Jimmy Butler making it to the Finals before a lot of people and before the organization. A lot of people upset about it. Some people mentioning Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah on Twitter that upset other folks. We'll get into it and give the backstory and just explain whether or not the Bulls should have held on to Jimmy and built around him or whether or not Jimmy being in this spot is not just about his efforts, but also finding the right organization that knew how to grow and uh, appreciate his talents, which is something he talked about in the presser yesterday. He just feels like he's finally in a place that appreciates what he can bring to the table. But we're going to start our preview on the NBA finals. Of course, the Los Angeles Lakers odds on picks before the season started for most to make it to the NBA Finals and win the NBA championship. They're facing off against the Miami Heat, the young up-and-comers with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was right up front with the media and saying, look, we are not underdogs. Don't look at us as underdogs. We don't have the mentality, and we're not using it for motivation. So I ask you, both of you right now, are they underdogs, and should the Lakers be favored the way they are? Absolutely. I mean, they're underdogs in terms of like, I'll go ahead, Chris. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, when you, anytime you're against probably the best duo in the NBA right now, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, two generational talents, of course, because I think a lot of people look at Miami and say, there's no, you know, quote unquote superstar, but what they do have is like a, a, you know, we get tired of using this word, but they have a culture. You know, and they have a belief one uh, in one another, and that's from the top right on down to the players. Like you go in that locker room, there's nobody in there that's, that's surprised at all. You know that they're in the finals. 
this isn't like a bubble situation either. I mean, the Heat are just a hard playing team. They're going to capitalize on mistake. It's a team full of dogs. So I don't think the Lakers should come into the series thinking that they're going to walk right on uh, over them because they'll have another thing coming. But uh, as far as like favorites is concerned, Dev, you got to put the Lakers, you know, as the favorites. And I know they probably don't like the term underdog, but let's just say they're the less favorite team uh, in the series. Yeah, and I would say that they're underdog just in terms. I mean, I would say that they're underdog just in terms of like narrative. You know, obviously they're going up against the Lakers. Um, you know, Anthony Davis, uh, LeBron James, obviously. You know, you got a lot of people pulling for the Lakers. You know, for the whole Kobe angle. So you know, it's a it's a, it's a lot of stuff going on there. But I mean, in terms of like you know talent, roster talent, top to bottom, I don't think Miami's an underdog at all. You know what I'm saying? I think you know we've seen how to. Playing the playoffs, you know, they play incredible defense. You know, we obviously we know what Jimmy Butler can do, but you got young guys like Tyler Hero stepping up. You know, you got you working Kendrick Nunn back into the fold. Um, Goran Dragic is, you know, he's obviously <clears throat> he's a seasoned vet. You know, you got Bam Adebayo. So they got, you know, and Jay Crowder, they got a lot of things going on. Um, you know, and they can throw a lot of different looks at Miami, you know, defensively, especially. So, no, I mean, you know, narrative-wise, yeah, they definitely underdog. But, I mean, in terms of pure basketball, you know, I'm going to agree with Chris. They, they're not really underdog. <clears throat> they're just the least favorite team in the finals. Man, let's go ahead. We know the struggles. Let's get into the exit uh-ohs and matchups in this series. We know that the Lakers, one of their biggest struggles all year has been perimeter shooting yeah. and being able to shoot the three. Miami brought out that zone against Boston, which – penetrate more than any other team but they also shoot very well from behind the arc and it seemed to give them problems do you see that same zone being used by eric spolster against the lakers and if so is it dangerous because you do have a big at six nine being lebron james that could flash to the middle and play make and break down that zone eventually I mean, I think, you know, I think you'll see a lot of zone. Um, you know, I think you'll see a lot of different looks. There's a whole lot of things that they can do. I mean, you know, you got to, you know, you got to still remember the fact that, you know, the Lakers are really just a two-man team. You know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you know, we've seen obviously playoff Rondo's coming back, you know, but he works off of those other guys. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, we haven't seen much from Danny Green. We've seen a lot of inconsistent play from Kyle Kuzma. Um, you know, obviously, Contavious Caldwell Pope is up and down. Like, it's a lot, lot of variables going in there. So, really, the only thing you got to do is kind of figure out how to, you know, stop LeBron or at least slow down LeBron and Anthony Davis because those other guys can't beat you. Um, and so, you know, like I said, you might see a lot of zone. You'll see a lot of different looks. Um, I don't know if they'll play zone exclusively. You know, you can run a lot of gimmick defenses in the NBA these days, so it ain't no telling what they can do. But, you know, whatever whatever the game plan and their scheme is, it will be to slow down AD and LeBron and, you know, and try to let those other guys beat you, which, you know, I don't believe that they can do. Yeah, I think the zone kind of is going to get busted just because, like I said, you can either have LeBron flash at the top, you can have AD flash at the top. And the one thing that um, I don't think Miami has gone against really just in this postseason is, size like the Lakers have. You know, you can start DeVale, you can start Dwight. I mean, and both of those, and even AD, all three of those guys are lob threats, you know, at the rim. So, you know, you put, and most of them, I think, you know, if your AD's a good passer, LeBron's a great passer, Rondo's a great passer. I do think you can't give, like, players like AD and LeBron zone consistently. You can throw it in there like here and there. But I mean, I think this series is going to come down to man to man coverage. And I think just the one um, thing outside of the Lakers lack of shooting prowess they have is just size at the rim. I mean, I think that's going to be the big story, like just determining the finals is they just they're so big by the rim. And I think points in the paint, trying to limit that is going to be Miami's concern. Miami's essentially is going to have to turn games dirty. If you ask me, they're going to have to hit hit the threes. They're going to have to come up with deflections, get all the 50-50 balls. That, because if the game is slowed down and kept at like a LeBron-like pace that he likes, then it's playing right into his hands. Man, it's so amazing that this matchup comes in the NBA bubble because the youth 
like a Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo. Imagine if they had to play game one on the road at Staples in the NBA Finals. That that just brings in a totally different anxiety to the situation. But they can go into the NBA bubble. I'm sure they'll have jitters, butterflies in the stomach, but they'll be able to settle down and they won't have to worry about Rockets fans and the environment, seeing Rihanna front row or anything like that. So it's going to be interesting. I think Bam Adebayo, a lot of people, of course, Jimmy Butler was without question the leader of the Miami Heat. The most important guy on that team is Bam Adebayo. You talk about a guy that comes in, wasn't highly heralded. He was highly heralded going into Kentucky, but coming into the NBA, I don't think people really foresaw the player that he's become and turned himself into. And once again, that goes to the development that exists in that culture down in Miami and what Eric Spolster is able to do with those young players. Uh, Chris, you talked about it a few episodes ago uh, for one of your layups, just the job he's done and how underrated he is as an NBA coach. So when you think about that, is Bam Adebayo and his play the key to Miami being able to pull off what most deem an upset? Uh, he's definitely one one of them. I mean, the great thing about Miami is, you know, they don't really – they're not really focusing on uh, – like, there's just not one guy. Yeah. Because, you know, everything is divided. Jimmy is the closer, but we've also seen Tyler Hero make big shots, you know, just last series against Boston. So they're not a team that primarily leans on one guy. Bam is, you know, a mismatch problem, and he's going to have, like, a tall task in trying to contain AD. So it's going to be, you know, even more of a learning <laughs> a learning curve uh, for him. But I think he'll be able to give a little bit as good as he gonna, uh, he's going to get this series. But, yeah, he's definitely a matchup. I mean, you can talk – you can run offense through him. Can handle the ball. I was looking at some of the things he was doing to uh, Tice from Boston, just taking him off the dribble, getting to the cup, you know, when he wanted to. Yeah. I mean, his foot speed is amazing just for that size. So um, he's definitely a key. But the thing with Miami, everybody is tied in uh, together, both defensively and offensively. So they're not really like putting the onus on just one person. We know the Lakers, they love to pick up the pace. They score in transition, number one in the NBA. Do you foresee Miami trying to slow the pace, or do you think Miami wants to get up and down and continue to score at the pace that they've been doing, especially from behind the arc? Yeah, I think you 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 need I – mean, I, I think Miami – oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was saying I think, I think Miami is definitely going to have to dictate the pace, you know, how they want to play is you know that remains to be seen you know i, I do think they can they can excel in a in, a, in an up-tempo game because i think that's going to benefit bam i think bam is probably the guy i'm worried about the most um because if they get you know if they get stuck playing half court ad is going to kill them and they gonna, you know it's not really a whole lot he's going to be able to do but if they you know if they run it up and down the floor i think bam could be effective so They'll definitely have to dictate the pace, um, and I think Dragic will do that. I think Miami will try to play fast uh, for the most part throughout the series. You know, there'll be some situations where they do have to slow down and play in the half court, but they can't play in the half court and beat Miami. I'm sorry, uh, beat the Lakers in seven games. They're going to have to play up tempo. Um, you know, they're going to have to pick up the pace. Cause like I said, that's the only way really and truly Bam is going to be effective. I think AD's length is going to give him a lot of problems, you know, along with just his general skill level. So, you know, in order for him, <clears throat> in order for him to get into the game, they're going to have to run, I think, anyway. That's going to be an interesting matchup. Both of you guys just mentioned playoff Rondo and then the, the Grizzly vet that has uh, kind of had a resurgence here in the NBA bubble, Goran Dragic. That matchup right there, who wins it? How pivotal is it in this series? Uh, it was going to be very pivotal. And I think you're going to see Rondo on a couple of different people. I think you're going to put him on Tyler Hero just to frustrate the rookie. Um, you know, Rondo's smartness is kind of taken for granted a lot of the times. And I think that's going to be valuable in this series. I mean, him and LeBron are basically the smartest players like on the floor. And that's not taking anything away from anybody else. But I'm just talking about just their basketball minds in general. You basically, you're going to have Rondo calling out Miami sets well before they advance the ball across half court. And I think he's going to be used to frustrate Tyler a little bit to try and get under his skin. 
Same thing with Dragic. I think you'll see him on those two primarily. And then, um, you know, however, whoever else comes in from, from Miami. Rondo will be a key. I don't think he'll be like the story, but, you know, his impact will definitely be felt. And I just think it's dope that Rondo got a chance to win the championship with the Lakers or have to already have won his ring with Boston. So that's real. Like, I don't think that's even happened before. Yeah, I don't think it's happened before either. The matchup of LeBron James defensively for Miami, they have Crowder, they have Iguodala, they have Jimmy Butler. So they have a lot of long, big wings that they could throw at LeBron throughout this series. But the matchup that they might not have an answer for, BC, you mentioned it. I don't think they have anybody that can straight up just guard Anthony Davis. I know there's not too many teams that have anybody that can match up with that guy. He's playing at an all-time high. His confidence is at an all-time high. He can taste the championship. He's there. Now he just has to go out and win four games. You know, he has LeBron at his side. This is his shining moment, right? Like all the criticism that AD, which is crazy because over the playoffs, coming into these playoffs, he, he averaged something like 30 and 12, I think, and playoff games that people still criticize him for his play in the playoffs. This is his shining moment. This is the chance for him, kind of like what KD had when he went to Golden State, to take that next step in the eyes of NBA fans and people and other players in the NBA. I mean, you know, you're right. Nobody can stop him. You know, they, I mean, like, like that's the ultimate matchup problem. You know, I think, I think LeBron, from what I've seen from him in the bubble, you know, as far as like in the, you know, in the, in the little qualifying season or whatever, and the playoffs is LeBron has slowed down a little bit. Now I could be wrong. He could just be coasting and just waiting for this moment right here and finally to pick it up. But he hasn't looked the same to me. Um, and I think, <clears throat> Sean, I agree with you. I, I think Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and Andre Iguodala, you know, you could throw those three guys and him on the perimeter. You know, you're going to make him think a little bit. I mean, obviously still with Brian James, but that's a much tougher situation than what AD got to deal with because, I mean, it's Bam out of bio and then who they got. Uh, Kelly O'Lennon. Basically, you know, who's a perimeter yeah. player. And Myers Leonard ain't got off the bench. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I expect AD to have a really dominant, you know, finals. You know, I am concerned a little bit, you know, where he has – you know, checked out of games. I don't know what game it was against Denver, but I don't think he had, like, I think it was one of them games he didn't have his first rebounds like the third quarter. That was like game four or five. Those are games that, yeah, yeah, like, you know, you can't can't really have games like that. And so, I, you know, that part of it I'm a little concerned about. But, you know, obviously, you know, Anthony Davis is one of the greatest players in the league right now. Um, Obviously one of the best big men. So he's going to have a field day. Um, so Miami, you know, Eric Spolster, you know, they got they got problems on their hands, and I think they understand that. But um, you know, LeBron, that's that's what I'm more interested to watch. Like I said, in the bubble, he hasn't really, he's just been cruising. You know what I'm saying? Like even put up numbers just because LeBron thinks he know what he's doing. But you know, I just you know I just wonder if this is like who he is, or if he's just been waiting for this moment. You know, that remains to be seen. You know what, C4, before you respond to that, you talk about him coasting. I give you Kyrie, I give you D-Wade, and I give you AD. Who has been the better partner for LeBron James or the better matchup for LeBron James in his game? Dwayne Wade. Okay. Easily. Huh? You still would take D-Wade out of those three, being the better fit? Yeah, I would take D-Wade. Yeah, because he's a perimeter player. You know what I'm saying? He could put pressure on you in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I think AD just makes his life a little bit easier. But, I mean, like, the greatest threat, like, as far as, like, matchup, yeah, I think it's Dwayne Wade, Kyrie, and AD. Yeah, I think he learned more from D-Wade. I think in terms of somebody he could give the ball to and he didn't have to worry about the last shot, that was Kyrie. And I think you know, playing with AD, that just, that's just like ice cream, you know, at the dessert. I mean, it's just, he really, every, everything is easier with AD. So yeah, I think in terms of importance, D-Wade pretty much brought him down there. He learned a lot, you know, just in that time in Miami. 
in terms of Kyrie, you had a guy who you can seriously go get the ball, like go get, he can get his own shot whenever against anybody took the big shot. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then AD is just all world. Man, Dwight Howard, the refurbished Dwight Howard that the Lakers have gotten. And he, the job he did on Jokic for about two or three games, he kind of took him out of his game, got him off balance. Jokic recovered and just put up numbers because Jokic is a really good big guy that can shoot and knows how to play the game. But he definitely impacted that Western Conference Finals against the Nuggets. If they decide to continue starting Dwight Howard in this NBA Finals, does Bam stick Dwight and then you put Jay Crowder on AD or do you put Bam on AD and then just leave Jay Crowder to try and rebound with Dwight and keep him out of the paint? Yeah, well, I mean, they're going to have to gang yeah, rebound. Think- anyway. Yeah, they're going to have to gang yeah. rebound anyway. I mean, there's nothing – like I said, even when you throw JaVale out there, I mean, yeah, yeah you have three live threats out there. So in Miami's already kind of does play – undersized just with bam probably only standing like six nine six ten so yeah i mean i'm pretty sure pat riley will, i mean um Spolster will come up with something but they have their hand full with the lakers like just size at the rim this is very it's going to be very difficult and you know what? i think no nah, i was say you know i think um i think the bigs really and truly you know won't be a factor I, you know, I think I think Dwight Howard benefited from running up against, you know, basically Jokic just tired by that point. You know what I'm saying? Like they had already been through, um, you know, two seven game series, so he kind of caught a break there. Um, you know, I don't. And JaVale, to me is like he's not really a factor, man. He's probably playing like 12 minutes a game. You know what I'm saying? If that, um, that's why I think you know the X factors in the series would probably be like Kelly Olynyk and Duncan Robinson if he can make shots. You know, I think. Kelly Olenek can stretch the floor out, and that's a problem for JaVale and Dwight. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, it goes back to what Chris said. Like, after that, you know, you pretty much got a game rebound. So, you know, I don't think I don't think the Lakers' bigs will be that much of a factor in the series at all, um, you know, just simply because of the way Miami plays. They can throw so many things at you, and they don't really play an inside game. And so when you got truly big, you know, truly big inside players like that, you're the Lakers, you got to play small anyway. So, um, yeah, I don't think the, the the bigs be affected at all in this series, to be honest with you, outside of AD. Chris, who's your X factor for the series? Uh, it's going to be the Lakers' three-point shooting. I mean, because if they do go zone or they find some way to, you know, limit AD, I mean, then, you know, that shines to focus on guys like Kuzma, Denny Green, Caldwell Pope, uh, J.R. Smith. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're going to have to – they have to knock down shots. I mean, the fact that Denny Green is being left open in the corner, like guys are literally like oh, waiting he's so trash. He is like, garbage. That's, that's not good. So those guys at least have to, like, knock down open shots because they're going to get a lot of them just because you're going to have to crowd AD when he touches the ball in the middle of the paint. And those guys got to be ready and knock down shots. I mean, even Rondo, to a point, like, the guys are going to be playing off him. He has to knock down. Uh, open shot. So the Lakers three-point shooting is going to be the X factor. Man, let's move to the sideline. Man, I saw so somebody I said that Danny Green, was, Danny Green was supposed to be the third option. I'm like, you a damn fool. <laughs> Danny Green going to be the third option. You stupid. <laughs> let's move to the sidelines, fellas, man. Uh, the matchup for me, you have two coaching staffs that I believe have shown the ability to make great adjustments, not only in between games, but during games, in between quarters. So the matchup of Eric Spolstra and Frank Vogel, along with their assistants, is it more important that Frank Vogel wins this series in the matchup, or is it more important that Eric Spolstra wins the matchup against Frank Vogel? I think it's more important for Frank Vogel because I don't think he's a very good coach anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he's all right. But, you know, in his career, he's, he's run up on some pretty good talent, you know, to be head coach of. Now, you know, I give him credit for what he did in Indiana, but obviously they couldn't close the deal. And, you know, when you got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, your job is just that much easier. Um, so I think it's way more important for, you know, Frank Vogel to win the championship. But I think it's almost equally as important as, um, you know, for uh, Eric Spolstra because obviously, 
you know, when the big three formed up in Miami, you know, it was just a given. It was a given that they was going to win championships. It was just a matter of how many was they going to win. Yeah. You know? And now, you know, you got a team with basically no real quote unquote superstar. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler, but I don't know, like, if he's at superstar status. He's probably like right there, but not really. So, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, Larry Brown when he had them Pistons teams. It's kind of the same thing. And so, you know, it, I think this is big for Eric Spolster to show that, yo, I can coach. You know, so I know I had D-Way, LeBron James, and Chris Bosh, but now I got Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and Tyler Hero. You know what I'm saying? And I'm still in the finals. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's equally big for both of them, but I think it probably it would count a little bit more for the logo. Yeah, definitely. I just think just with the storyline and everything that happened this year, Kobe, you got LeBron trying to win his first uh, first ring in L.A. I think he'll be probably the first to win a title in uh, like three different for three different organizations, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think most yeah. of the pressure is going to be put on put on them. I mean, the Heat can basically go out and you know play the way they've been playing you know i mean everything that they've done up to this point has surprised mostly all of us but to right. them it hasn't been a surprise at all so i mean they're just going to go out and play i mean and the lakers are going to have to match their intensity because like i said they feel they belong there at all and that's a dangerous team to play where you can't come in to this series like feeling any sort of overlooking them at all just because you're going to end up getting punched in the mouth all right let's get it's time to make your predictions man, man, if, god if if i just want to say this lebron win that's the last thing i need to hear like yo he won a championship with three different teams michael jordan never did that <laughs> you know what's coming you know what's coming you know what's coming if it happens hey you know what i tell people all the time i four letter word every time they bring up that argument mavs <laughs> That's all I say, you get to talking that talk about him being the goat, Mavs. Boy, you lost to the Mavs. Mavs. In the discussion. Dirt. Let's get your predictions, man. Oh, man. I'm conflicted because obviously. Your heart, I know where your heart wants to go. Man, you know, because like. It's hard for me because it's a lot going on in LA. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, you got Lakers, you know, Kobe Bryant passing away this year. AD, you know, that's the homie. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker, another, you know, Simeon. You got a lot going on over there. And then you got Jimmy. You got, you know what I'm saying? You got Kendrick Nunn. It's tough, man. I don't know, but if I got to pick one, if I got to pick one, do it for Bean. I'm going to have to go with Miami, man. All right. No, nah, I'm going to go with Miami. How many games? Miami win, they're going to have to do it in like seven. All right. So, yeah. I'm going to go with Miami seven. I want to do I want to do it for Bean, but no, nah, I'm going to go with Miami. Yeah, I got Lakers in six. Lakers in six? Yeah. Before we transition over to Doc Rivers, C4, I forgot to get your uh, your thoughts on the better fit between AD, Kyrie, and uh, D-Wade. Uh, I mean, it is it's tough to say. I just think you have to break down LeBron and you know where he was at in his career at the time. I always said like the best. I always wish D Wade and Brian would have kind of come like joined forces maybe two years earlier. You know when Dwayne wasn't like basically beginning to you know break down in terms of injuries, just because they would have been unstoppable. Uh, but yeah, it's hard for me to say who's the better fit. I think is like basically where LeBron was at in his career. Um, I think each of those guys have been pivotal to the places he's been at certain points in his career. But if you're looking for, I always say D-Wade taught him the most. He learned the most from D-Wade. Kyrie was the closer for him. And like I said, AD pretty much makes life so much simpler because now you literally have he has something that he's never had before. So you can basically just toss toss the ball, watch him go to work, and you can they can play off one another that in the pick and roll. So 
yeah, it's just all about where he's been at in his career and the points that he's joined forces with those each of those three guys. Yeah, I, I feel the emotion. You don't get to get out of here without making a pick, man. No, I'm about to make mine. I said I feel the emotions that you oh, okay. have, and I'm torn as well. That's why I was going um, because of the Chicago connection that fills this uh, NBA Finals. And you know me. I've come. I, I'll be honest. I've come to have a lot more love for Jimmy Butler than I did, say, four or five years ago. Now, I can be honest about that. I, my, my affinity for the young man has grown his resilience, his hard work, and just understanding that, yo, he is who he is. And you can, you have to respect anybody that's willing to stand their ground and continue to be the person that they are and live by the principles that they believe in. And he's found a place where he can flourish. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Kendrick. And you know the angst that I have for LeBron as a Chicago Bulls fan. You know how many times he's like, kick me off, piss me off. I think he whines too much. I, I, I hate the fact that he's compared to Michael Jordan, but I need him to help my guy get a championship. Like, I want my boy AD to get a championship really bad. Like, I want that for the kid. I really do. I'm going to go ahead and go Lakers in six, man. With Anthony Davis. I'm only one round with Miami. With, wow. with Anthony Davis. With Anthony Davis unseating LeBron for the first time in finals and being the finals MVP. This will be the first time LeBron has won the finals and does not get the MVP trophy. That's what's going to bring me happiness. He would have to be on AD's man. back. Well, y'all know how I feel about Man, you know how I feel about AD, man. Like, that's the little big homie. It ain't, you know, it ain't, it ain't no doubt about that. Like, I'm, I want that boy to win every single time. But it's just unfortunate that he played with LeBron. And, you know, I'm riding against LeBron every single time he get in the finals. So it ain't no disrespect to AD, man. I just got to stay consistent. I ain't never roll with LeBron, with LeBron ever. He got to – I don't believe he can win until I see it. And I said that before. The podcast, according to sources, Sean Davis, Chris Kaysen, Brian Crawford. You can go follow us right now at A2SPod1, Instagram, and Twitter. Let's go ahead and transition according to sources. Doc Rivers was let go of his position as head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers as a mutual parting of the ways, according to reports. It was also reported that uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were called about the decision, and it was not reported what they said to Steve Ballmer in those conversations. But before those conversations took place, Steve Ballmer had already made up his mind that he was going to let Doc Rivers go. And according to reports, it took about 10 days for this process of meeting with each other and talking to each other, Steve Ballmer and Doc Rivers, for uh, Steve Ballmer to come to this decision. Uh, the first question I want to ask you guys, since the Bulls just hired Billy Donovan, if this had happened a week ago and he was on the market before Billy Donovan, do you think the Bulls would have talked to him? And secondly, are the Los Angeles Clippers making a mistake? Uh, I think the Bulls probably wish this would have happened a little bit later. <laughs> but they broke with Billy Donovan. Um, I mean, I'm not convinced that Doc Rivers would have got the job, but it's a great story, you know, since Chicago guy, coach of the yeah. Chicago team. So, um, you know, it would have been dope. But this is probably to be expected, man. I, you know, I think the Clippers, I think everybody had the Clippers in, you know, the Western Conference Finals at the very least. I know I had them beating LA and going to the finals. So, you know, it was, a, it was a disappointing season, you know, all the way around. Um, you know, Doc had been there pretty much a very long time. Um, you know, like I said, we don't know what Paul Pierce and Kawhi Leonard had said, but you know, Steve Ballmer made his decision. You know, it's no, it's no telling who the next coach is going to be. But I mean, I think we can all agree that the Clippers underachieved. You know, nobody, you know, nobody saw this coming. Nobody yeah. definitely seen them blowing the three-one lead. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, but Doc is a good coach. You know, obviously, I don't know if he's going to land on his feet again if he'll get another shot in the NBA. But if he doesn't, you know, he was a great player. He was a great coach. He's had some great teams, you know, and it's just like, it's the Clippers, man. Like, you know, that, that team right there is just really look like it don't matter who owns it. They're going to be the Clippers regardless. You know what I'm saying? So Clippers going to clip. Yeah, they're going to clip. You know what I'm saying? Like since 
you know, since the Donald Sterling day, like that team has always been like, you know, just like complete trash. And then even when they get good and get great players, they still can't win. So maybe they curse. I don't know, man. But, you know, it's an unfortunate situation that they didn't get to the ultimate, you know, championship. And it's obviously it's unfortunate that Doc's no longer coaching. But, you know, we know what it is. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um... – you know, they probably they probably would have the Bulls probably would have talked to Doc. I don't know Doc's interest in you know dealing with the developing situation. Yeah, you know, especially at this point. I mean, twenty one years, twenty one years in. I don't know if he would have the storyline would have been good just coming back home, but you know, dealing with a young team at this at the point of where he's at now in life, I don't think that would have been suitable. I do think. You know, if you're a Philadelphia uh, 76ers, forget the Mike D'Antoni experiment. You're definitely giving Doc a call. Uh, Doc, I think maybe it'll take a – Doc can even take like a year to sit out. I mean, just to enjoy life a little bit. Yeah. Uh, B4, before you continue, man, is that Philly Philly situation overrated? Because people look at the roster and they say, you got two superstars. Is that situation overrated? Because it's just I don't see it. I don't see what's so attractive about the situation. I mean, you just have two big names. You got yeah. two big names there, and that's it. Uh, but with that, with those two big names come like and one of them ain't that good. <laughs> which one? Which one isn't good? The one that has the one is not from that has one e in his name, and it should be two. <laughs> Ben, B-E-E-N, you know right. No, but I think – I just think it's the next best available job just in terms you have two all-stars there. You have, like, Joel Embiid, one of the best yeah. bigs in the league, and you have, like, this – you have this hybrid, you know, four, you know, who can – who I think they're still trying to figure out how to play. So, um, uh, so I wouldn't call it an overrated – job i just look at it as you're going to have difficulties there because there's two different playing styles you have to play and like those two guys haven't figured it out just yet so far but uh, i look at doc the situation i saw it kind of unfair just because i look at everything that happened like leading into the bubble play i mean pat bev you know missed significant time he dealt with the death of a friend uh montrez harrell you know, grandmother passed when he came back to the bubble, never looked like himself at any point in time. Lou, Will, Lou Williams, like, left his game, you know, back in Magic City. At Magic had, City. Yeah. I mean, he couldn't, like, the crazy part is, like, you had three pivotal players, like, from your team that, like, they were not themselves at all. I mean, they'll probably be the first to admit that. I mean, Kawhi basically carried – that team, you know, throughout that first round. And he was gassed basically when it got to the latter stages against Denver. So I looked at all of those situations and then you're kind of, I can see where he could have made adjustments, but I mean, it's, it's on the players at the end of the day. When you have leads of 16, 19 and 12, and you have three, three chances to close it against yeah. the team, no adjustments are being made that falls on the players. Um, so yeah, it's unfortunate, but I think Doc Doc pretty much has uh he could do whatever he wants now. He can take I think he should be the number one candidate for that Philly job, but I also think, you know, he should probably take, you know, a year off just to decompress and just sit back, let let another situation possibly open up. Yeah, there's no rush for him at all to, you know, go right back into another situation. I guess you talked about him not wanting to take on developing a young a young team. So that would probably rule out a team like New Orleans that has talent, but it's a young team, like you said. Philly might be the only option that fits the bill for him. He might sit down and talk to them, but ultimately, like you said, I think it would probably be best for him to sit out a year and just enjoy his family and uh, wait for the NBA kind of get to kind of get back to a sense of normalcy. Yeah, I mean, I, I even look at that, you know. And you know what the problem is in Philly? Now I'm gonna tell you what the problem is in Philly. The problem is Philly is your two best players. They don't really love basketball, mm. and I think we start. I, I think we starting to see that. I think you know you're looking at two guys who probably love 
the lifestyle of being a basketball player versus actually loving the game. Right. And I think that's the biggest problem in Philly. And I don't think nobody, I don't think somebody like Doc got the time or the patience for that. To deal with that type of mindset. Man, you know what? A lot of people are bringing up, and I've seen reports talking about this team not being able to be on one accord and really be cohesive because of, you know, managing Paul George and Kawhi, taking that time off, not really practicing deciding they didn't want to play certain games. How how much does that play a part in this team's lack of success and lack of gelling? And is that a mindset? Because I will say, this is a team that came off of a really impressive showing in the playoffs with no superstars and just tough-minded dogs like Pat Bev and Lou Will went up against Golden State and literally just didn't have the talent to match up with Golden State, but pushed Golden State in that series. And then you bring in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with that mindset of taking games off and taking practice off. It just didn't mesh with what existed there and the culture that Doc had there with those guys. How much of a problem was that for this team moving forward? And don't forget, they were one of the teams that were open about not even wanting to go down to the bubble. Yeah, or continuing to play. Uh, yeah. I think I think it did. Uh, it probably caused some conflict at points during the season because, you know, if you're looking at, I think Kawhi, you could, both of them came into uh, training camp like off of, I don't know if Kawhi had surgery or not, but definitely had an injury issue he was dealing with like all throughout um, the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, and then you had Paul George, I think he had surgery on both his shoulders. So you got the load managing thing and, you know, you got guys, you know, who can respect Kawhi, but they're like, hey, man, we're out here practicing, you know, you're in and out of games. So it messes with it messes with the roles, like who feel they should be the closer. It messes up with it messes with chemistry in general. You know, if guys are in and out of the lineup because I don't think at any point roles were truly defined. I mean, you kind of saw that. In the bubble, I mean, you know, who's your closer? Is it Kawhi or is it Lou Williams? Uh, you know, what is what is Paul Paul George can play off the ball? But I think at times it's like he's just sitting out there on the perimeter. So I think they'll I think they'll be a lot better um, next year. You go through a full training camp, guys will be healthy, they'll be pissed off, and I think this could bond them together. The only thing uh, that's left to be seen is will Steve Ballmer have the patience to you know keep this group intact or if he'll look to make changes because all those draft picks, they trade away a ton of draft picks, just yeah. Paul George over there. They definitely need shooting. They need, you know, point guard over there to basically help facilitate easier shots for Kawhi and um, PG Montrez. Montrez is going to get paid, um, you know, this summer. So yeah, a lot of things are going to happen there, but, you know, hopefully that group is able to stay together just so we can see, you know, what they do next season. Hopefully it won't Man, be the I was watching, uh, trying to I was sign tell you Saturday play. night I was watching, Saturday night I was watching the, uh, the Charlo brothers fight, the little double header that they had. And I think it was Jamel Charlo, the first, yeah. one, you know, mm -hmm. after he won his fight, you know, they had, they had the fighters in a bubble. You know what I'm saying? He was talking about, you know, yo, when I was in the bubble, I wouldn't let nothing going on outside the bubble, you know, distract me. I was in here focused, you know, yada, 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 doing my thing. And the first thing I thought about was Paul popped that P. George. And that <laughs> man got on TV talking about, you know, the bubble was messing with his mental and all of this type of stuff. I just knew that boy, Jamel Charlo, was taking a shot at Paul George. And so, you know, like, Chris, I agree with you in terms of, yeah, you know, they need a full training camp and all that. But if them reports that came out is true, man, that them dudes on that team is really, like, not feeling Paul George, that's going to be a problem, you know, like a big problem. And I think, you know, mentally, like, the dude is just, you know, he cupcakes off. I think we saw that kind of, like, in Indiana, you know what I'm saying? And then, like, when he broke his leg, that didn't help anything at all. You know, right. when you, you know, when you basically sequestered, you know, sequestered in Orlando for, you know, multiple weeks and months or whatever like that, and you know, you telling me that you know you're not locking in onto the task at hand. I think that's a problem, it's especially when you got you know when you got teammates 
who I locked in and focused. So that means you're not on the same page with them. And, you know, I think that's going to be an issue, you know, for the Clippers moving forward, regardless of who the coach is. Like, you got to keep this dude engaged. And I think that's been a problem, you know, throughout his his career where he has just other things going on that distract him. So, you know, obviously, you know, like you said, um, you know, my trade is going to get paid. You know, they had some issues going on in Clipperland, but I think they really got to make a decision on Paul George, you know, if they're going to try to, you know, achieve basically what has been the impossible is the Clippers championship. Hey, man, before we transition over to the hot topic of the day, and that is Jimmy Butler and the connection to the Chicago Bulls and him making it to the NBA Finals and all the talk that's been on social media the past two or three days surrounding that, I want to give a shout-out to the boss of the day because this was a boss move. I want to give a Ross ugh, to that cat John Calipari who held a press conference today just for all the players he has in the NBA Finals. I was like, that's boss. That's great promotion for your program. <laughs> it's like when the, when the national media wants to talk to you because of the number of players you have in the NBA Finals, yeah, that's boss. That's boss. Shout out to Coach K, man. He told some great stories about each, each player as well. So that was dope. Great story I told C4 about a great story he told about Bam and what motivated him. He told a great story about AD. And uh, as you call him affectionately, white boy Rick <laughs> at uh, Tyler Hero. He white had a great boy Rick, story. Boy, I'm trying to tell you <laughs> what he had a great story. Let's transition, man. This That's has him. been the talk. BC, show the people your, your shirt, man. Show them your t shirt. It's been all about Jimmy Buckets, man. His success in the NBA bubble for the Miami Heat, leading the <clears> Miami <throat> to the NBA finals. We know that uh, he was drafted in 2011. 2011-2012 season was his first season. He was a pup. The Bulls were on the verge of winning um, or having the number one seed, being the best team in the NBA in the regular season and going on to ultimately losing to LeBron James and the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I want to talk about what led to the mindset because Jimmy came from a hardcore uh, structure. He had Buzz Williams as his coach. Uh, before that, Tom Cream was there with Dwayne Wade. So the, the structure and the culture at Marquette has always been to produce hard-nosed uh, two-way players. We talked about Crowder. We talked about Jimmy. Uh, Wes Matthews, C4, we talked about him. That, that's the culture. That's what they produce. Uh, BC, you could tell this story because you told me many times because Gar Foreman loved to take a lot of credit for the drafting of Jimmy Buckets. And you would tell me, no, nah, that's that's not Gar Foreman. It was somebody else. I mean, Gar Foreman drafted him off a of favor, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, Gar Foreman was, you know, he was a plug thug. You know what I'm saying? He knew everybody in college. So, you know, he had people feeding him information, you know, about, you know, just guys that, Nobody knew about or nobody was out me. You know, it's 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 kind of how they ended up with Todd Gibson, kind of the same thing. Um, but you know, for me, that's why I said, like, I'm the first person that I know on record to believe in Jimmy Butler. Like he came in when there was a whole talk about the Bulls needed the third superstar, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, yo, like, look at this kid, like it's him right here. Like, I just remember going to games and just seeing him play. Like he might play eight minutes, but in them eight minutes, he gonna do something crazy. Like, like you see what he's doing? And for me, it was just like just the way he was just so aggressive and he, you know, he attacked the glass and he rebounded. He just did all the little things. And so, you know, for me, when it comes to Jimmy Butler, I'm just proud of that. You know what I'm saying? Because like me and him, we would talk, you know, just about like scoring, like, yo, like, you know, you average 20 points a game if you just get five points a quarter. And the way you go to the free throw line, like that's nothing. You could do that. You know, he had already had that part figured out. So, you know, I just like him just because of the simple fact that, like, nobody even saw him coming, like, at all. And he got to Chicago and he got in that right situation, you know, where he ended up playing under, you know, playing with Joe and playing with Derek and playing with Lou and coming up on the tables. And, like, he was just cut from a different cloth, man. And, you know, I think he gets a lot of, you know, unfair blame for what happened in Chicago. But I don't really blame him for that. You know, I blame more or less the organization. So I'm just happy for the dude just, you know, just because 
of the grind and the work that he put in. You know, the dude, you know, he didn't gave me some great stories. You know what I'm saying? So Jimmy Butler gonna always be the homie, man. That's gonna be my guy forever. So I hope he win. I'm I'm pulling for him just off rip. Yeah. C4, man, we've heard, like you said, Gar Foreman took credit. The organization liked to try to take credit until they ultimately tried to turn the narrative when Jimmy was on his way out of town. Uh, Jimmy has given credit the last couple of days to the guys he played with, Luau Dane, Joakim Noah, and Derrick Rose, giving him that work ethic by watching them and playing alongside them. But you said there was an unsung hero early on in the organization that really was the, the foundation for the development of Jimmy Butler. Oh, yeah, uh, Adrian Griffin. I mean, it was the guy who mm-hmm. Jimmy could call two in the morning, you know, go to go get some shots up. And, I mean, and at this time, I mean, I don't even think the, the Advocate Center was built yet. So they're going, you know, back out to the Birdo. They were still in Deerfield. Yeah, so they're going out to the Birdo, out in Deerfield, getting up shots. I mean, and Jimmy was somebody from a, from a rookie, just wanted to play, wanted to find a way on the court and you know Tibbs still to this day you know I don't think he plays rookies because he doesn't you know feel he can trust them so but you saw once Jimmy like got his opportunity like he shined I mean I think there was one playoff series possibly against the Nets where he played Jimmy like three straight three straight games 48 minutes period um, when Luau I think that was the the Luau thing situation with the spinal tap and you know jimmy excelled every time he put him in this uh you know he gave him an opportunity so jimmy's story has always been about the grind i mean the negative headlines about him you know oh he's an asshole and this when you look at where this guy this guy's backstory what he had to work himself into becoming if there's anybody with that he sees any type of talent in if you're not working as hard as he is He's going to be on your ass and you, you're going to have to either accept that and meet him at that or you're going to fold. And we saw in some situations, mm-hmm. not every organization or not every uh, team is structured to be able to handle a guy like that. But it's a perfect marriage there in Miami because you're already you're already coming into a situation where accountability, you know, is priority number one, like just from the top on down when you're. When your staff has to be in shape, when your staff gets tested for like body fat, like that just tells you there's a different precedence in uh, Miami. So I'm not at all really surprised that the success he's had there. I'm not surprised at all that it's worked this well so far. I mean, it's, it's just a perfect marriage and Miami speaks to everything that Jimmy is about. Now you talk about organizational structure. And I love, you know, go ahead. Be, I, was gonna uh, tell you, like, I love telling the story, man, because like, this is like when I knew Jimmy Butler was like a player. Like I don't remember what game it was, but I I know it was like it was like kind of like a stretch where like um, Lou Aldane was hurt. He was dealing with like some kind of injuries or whatever, and Jimmy was banged up. And it was this one particular game, man. Like he came in, he played well, and Tibbs had pulled him. And so I remember going into the locker room, you know, we was talking or whatever. And I remember walking out, you know, walking out the locker room when we walked down the hallway, we just talking. He was like, man, Tibbs just got to let me rock, man, and let me play and just let me do my thing. He's like, I'm ready. I was like, man, you just got to be patient and just chill. And I remember it was like the very next week the Lakers came into town and Jimmy had to guard Kobe. You know what I'm saying? And it was like after that game, like Jimmy did really well. And like that was the game, like that, re- like his name really kind of started to blow up because I think Kobe like mentioned him a little bit, like in his post game press conference. And I just remember telling him, like, man, like I told you, bro, like your time was just coming. You just got to chill. You got to be patient. And it was from like that moment on, like Jimmy Butler just kind of like exploded into like this thing. You know what I'm saying? Like he just became like that dude. And so, you know, nothing was given to him, man. Like he earned like every single bit of it. Like it, and look. For like guys like me and Chris who was there, we kind of start like we started to see like the evolution of it. And we seen this guy progress from like somebody who didn't talk a lot and starting to assert himself like on and off the court. And so right. you know, he always had that heart. And that's the thing that I always liked about him. He was never scared. Man, you talk about organizational structure that exists down in Miami. I think that was one of the biggest failures uh from the time that he came in and was a young pup. To the time he started to grow up 
And also, if he grew up, BC used to call him all the time. He was the little brother. And once he grew up, he had a voice. And he wasn't going to let any boy, anybody smother his voice. He was going to say what was on his mind. You know, it might have caused issues with some of his big brothers. But ultimately, I think the biggest mistake this organization made before we even get to whether or not they should have built around him was choosing narrative over solving issues. Like when they mm -hmm. saw issues pop up within the organization, if there was something, you know, we know that they're known for wanting to go down. Tears had already established it's us against them. Right? It's us, the players, mm -hmm. coaching staff, and then you have the executives. You have guard packs. We're in here, we're in this locker room, and we're going to do and fight hard to make sure that we win games. That was the culture. We work hard, we grind. And Tibbs had those guys until injury ultimately derailed what was a promising championship run with the team they had and possibilities. It's just sad to see that this organization chose narratives and chose leaks and chose uh, trying to take this player down and to pit this player against this player. And one of those things was Derek versus Jimmy. And it came up. You had a one-on-one -on -one conversation that you shared with me at the time, BC, with him outside of an event. He told you straight up. You can share what he said. And C4, I know you've had conversation about this subject. Just, just go ahead and talk and tell the people, like, was there an issue between Derek and Jimmy? No, there wasn't no issue. Um, you know, I think the issue became, you know, like you said, you talked about it, where it was like, you know, what attitude in the locker room was us versus them. But then, you know, Jimmy ended up kind of siding with them because obviously they wrote him the big check. They gave him the money. They told him that, you know, they was basically handing him the keys to the whip. You know, that's kind of what that was. But it was never no beef with, you know, Derek and Jimmy. Like, Derek don't have beef with nobody, you know what I'm saying, except for Evan Turner. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that he definitely not gonna have beef with his own teammate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So nah, it wasn't no beef. It was just that was just something that was like played up in the media because it, you know, it drew clicks. That was a big click bay era and all that, but it wasn't no real beef. And you know, them boys still got love for one you know, for one another to this day. Man, that's crazy that, that Derek holds that going back to like the 2004 super section. That's crazy. I remember that game. Well, he matched up against Evan and St. Joe's and beat them on the way yeah, to. I don't like that dude like that at all. Like I don't know if you remember, but me and Chris was there. You know, uh, the game before he blew out his knee. You know, like they was out there talking and like Derek got in them man faces, start clapping and doing like this. Like he was, yeah, that's that's way back right there. But yeah, past that's that, you know, that's Derek Chicago. Man got no beef, man. That's yeah. over. C four, you're in Chicago. Yeah, your experience with the whole uh, Jimmy and Derek. Uh, there, was never, there was nothing there at all. I think the biggest thing was um, Jimmy and Joe, uh, just because Joe, Joe, it, it took mm -hmm. a while for him to realize, like, hey, I mean, this guy feels like he belongs now. So when he's raising his, when he's, you know, beginning to talk up and speak up on things, Joe is still looking at him as, you know, that quiet rookie from Tumball, Texas. Right. Oh, bro, I'm averaging 20 out here. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I think things should be going. I think I think things should be going this way now. So I think right. that's that's what that's, the real issue was. Yeah, that's that's what the issue was. I mean, kind of know Derek is more so quiet to himself. And Derek just wanted to hoop, hoop again and basically was just trying to get his rhythm again. But Jimmy was still in that mindset. It's like, hey, give me, give me the damn ball. Like, let me go. And like Joe was just like, hey, you know, we kind of paved the way. Like while you, you know, while you were sitting over here on the side, we were the one putting in the work. So that's where the struggle was. It was never anything between Derek and Jimmy. I think they both had two different ways to play. So and both of them were the scorers on the team. So that's where the offense was going through. So that's why you can kind of paint the narrative as there was some conflict between those two. But it was no personal beef uh, with them at all. When they see each other still to this day, they show love. Hey, man, as we get ready to close it out, we thank everybody for joining us. We see everybody on Facebook Live, Twitter, Periscope, man, YouTube Live. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for all your comments and questions. We see a lot of people saying AD is going to win the AVP. 
A lot of people picking the Lakers in six in the comments. My boy Macau Harris, we appreciate you giving love and giving a big up to the show. Uh, go follow us right now, H2S Pod One. The support for Jimmy Buck is in the NBA Finals by BC on Instagram and Twitter and PeytonSportsNet.com. You can find us right there streaming as well on all digital platforms. All right. So as we get ready to leave, was there a mistake made by the Chicago Bulls? And I'm not I'm asking this not from I want you to think about this from the standpoint that the Chicago Bulls organizationally are not the Miami Heat. They're not the Miami Heat. That structure did not exist. Knowing that that structure did not exist and knowing who the executives were at that point in time. Did they make a mistake not building around Jimmy Buck? Man, I'm not going to even answer that question. I'm going to answer it like this. There's no other team in the NBA that would have gave one of their star key players a spinal tap in the middle of the playoffs. That's all I got to say. Um, I, got to say. Uh, I just think if they weren't equipped to handle like somebody, you know, calling them out, you know, on, on things, you know, they weren't equipped to handling the guy basically questioning, you know, a coach's decision, you know, in the press, let alone in private. Cause I'm pretty sure if Jimmy, you know, questioned Hoiberg thing, I think it was a game in New York. I'm pretty sure he had done it behind closed doors and before it just got to the point where he's like, this makes no sense. So, I just think the Bulls at that time, I'm not sure about now, they weren't equipped to handle, you know, a player of that caliber. And they probably were looking at a situation where how far can we get with this guy, you know, as the, as like basically, you know, the face of the franchise because no free agents were coming here at the time. So they're figuring like, man, how do we build around this guy? Like how long is this guy going to be good? And, you know, we have to deal with, this guy calling out, you know, our head coaches, you know, in the public. So they just weren't equipped at the time to handle a guy like Jimmy Butler. How do you go from – how do you give a guy like Jimmy Butler, Tom Thibodeau, and then turn around and give him Fred Hoiberg? What do you think is going to happen? Exactly my point. But wasn't that more about Gar Pax, though, not wanting to deal with another Thibodeau type? Well, yeah. I mean, that was – some bad decisions. Yeah, that played a part in it. All those guys, all those guys came up on the tips, man. They had the same mindset. Like that's like there's no way around it. They all had the mindset the tips had. So yep. when you go from that mindset to the success that they had to giving them somebody like Fred Hoiberg, you're gonna get pushed back all day. All the time. You know, they used to being cursed out. They used to they right. used to being, you know, ran in practice. Right. You bring a, a nice guy in there. Like it's it's gonna be some issues. So I mean, it wasn't a surprise that any of that stuff. Man, that boy could have had a heart attack if he raised his voice on the practice court, man. <laughs> that wasn't gonna work. Literally, like yeah, that's not a joke. Like literally, like like literally, literally like that could have happened. At that point, yeah, yeah. So the podcast, according to sources, you know how we ended each and every week. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Flavor in your ear this past week, guys. Flavor in your ear. I know where you're going. You're going Griselda Armani. BC? Armani season, man. Like, check that out. It ain't even long, man. It's like 36 minutes. I ain't never heard of a debut album that short, but it was banging. So, yeah, nah, check out Lil Foxy, like my boy Bang said. <laughs> it's funny because I was listening to it. We had a thread going talking about it, and I was like, man, she sounds eerily similar to somebody else, but I can't peg it. And it was Bang, J.R. Bang, that said that's Lil Foxy. C4, hey, what's the boys the got a formula over there, man. It's working. What's the flavor in your ear, C4? I haven't been listening to anything still. Been on like grind mode, but I still I still gotta check out the machine. I definitely gotta basically anything y'all send over, I gotta listen to. Yo, that machine, look, last week I said machine, the Conway the Machine joint had crept into my top three gazelles. It's threatening number two. I'm I'm wearing it out, but man, Jalen Rose mentioned Conway the Machine on TV the other day. You are that was know it. it's, it's over. The price of the brick is going up. <laughs> the price of the brick is definitely what? going and, up. And everybody Griselda. late because I, I was on that first. <laughs> the first time Gino brought him here, and I couldn't get off because I was supposed to meet you up there at the joint BC, but man. I couldn't get off. 
I man, I gotta give credit to Gino. Gina was Gino and Terrence when they did a podcast with us with me and JP when we were doing down the distance. They were the ones that put me up on that whole Brazil. We were, we we was in the Griselda early before early. anybody. And then when I found out when I found out that they knew him, it was over. Forget it. Man, facts. I, I want to shout out uh man that dolphins project by Action Bronson. Surprisingly, that today that was dope. It was dope. Like the concept behind it is very Caribbean. Like, man, you know, the tracks is it's uh yeah, that's all I can say, man. It's very Caribbean, uh, with the beats and the tracks, his flow. You know, he got a he got a he got a Puerto Rican baby mama. Well, there you go. If you love island music, you're gonna mm -hmm. love Dolphins Project by Action Bronson. It's another short project because I think that project is only like what. 39 minutes or something like that if if that but i always like action bronson i always thought yeah. it was dope yeah so man check that out and we'll be back this weekend for another podcast uh that'll be uh the nba finals will be two games in so we'll talk about that we'll talk about some other things uh that's popping up in the nba in the news and then um we're gonna have a special guest None other, a guy that's an icon in Chicago, that's an icon in journalism, and has impacted all three of us. Uh, Scoop Jackson is going to join us on Saturday, and we'll let you know what time we're going to be on. And, uh, yeah, check us out, man. It's going to be great, great content. Once again, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, A2SPod1. I am Sean Davis at SD2Mikes. Chris Kaysen, C4 Dunk, you have a great piece up. Let the people know what you just put out. Uh, was it, it was for Forbes, right? Uh, yeah, it was basically just uh, some Scotty Pippen teamed up with American Express, the uh, sleep and meditation app Calm. He's like narrating one of the sleep stories on there. Definitely gave his opinion about the Bulls' new coaching hire. Didn't hold back at all. Like, I wish I had more time with him to go in more in depth about it. But yeah, Scotty definitely led. Not a fan of uh, the Billy Donovan hire. BC, what you got <laughs> going on? Man, everything I got going on, though, nobody in Chicago care about. So, <laughs> I'm, you know what I'm saying? It's TV news. It's kicking my ass, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm hustling and I'm grinding. Go Buckets. Hey, go Buckets. All right, we'll catch you all this weekend, man. As I said before, streaming on all digital platforms. Check out all previous podcasts. As always, three dudes from the game. Love the game. Talking the game. We'll see you guys real soon.